Hello. Hello. We're here with episode three of The Hunkering. Mm-hmm. Thank you to the 12 of you that are still listening. It's probably down to six now. Yeah, our retention rate's like one yeah, third since episode bad. one. It's pretty bad. Yeah, it's okay. Uh, I'm Epis- affectionately calling this episode The Hunk Eastering because it is, in fact, Easter Sunday today. Yeah. I was trying to think of a more creative, like a, another <laughs> cheesy name, but I couldn't come up with anything. Yeah. It's pretty cheesy to start out, so. Yeah. That's all right. But yes, we had a lovely Easter brunch today. Nick made us some delicious eggs. We we had Spam for the first time in a really long time. You know what I realized is that, you know, like Marie Kondo, like sparking joy, mm-hmm. Spam truly sparks joy for me. Yeah. It's, uh, I, I was giddy when i saw it yesterday and i'm not ashamed <laughs> to admit that shout out beth mossard for bringing yes, us a you. can of spam uh it did it did wonders for my my spirits and mental health it was a it was a great treat to have today it's so interesting because nick and i come from completely different backgrounds as far as heavily processed meats go like when i was a kid bologna sandwich was one that was in the rotation for lunchtime when i was going to school it was like all right you either get pb and j you get a bologna sandwich or you get a bunch of like packaged stuff my mom always hated like lunchables because they had so much plastic in them mm-hmm. which is a great reason not to like them but something to the like of that many reasons to be suspicious of a lunchable um yeah my my lunches were like plain oven roasted lean turkey breast and um my mom was the mom that like didn't realize that like packing a kid tuna for lunch like (laughs) quickly ostracized (laughs) him so uh my friends would give me shit all the time they'd be like just about how fucking stinky you know a tuna sandwich Mm -hmm. sitting in a um you know like a a cooler bag for four hours till lunchtime in your locker that is a valid point about, you know, storing tuna can get oh, pretty no, dicey. I, I quickly, like, I quickly got my mom to stop doing that, but that was, like, the trajectory that we started on, you know. I uh, I give your mom a lot of credit for, you know, like, those are the kind of meals that I aspire to eat on a daily basis now. Now yes. that I'm in control of my own diet. Yeah. You know, those lean meats and, and keeping the carbs low and everything. But back when I was a kid, like, I didn't understand that. I wanted no, Wonder no, no, no. Bread mayonnaise and, like, the most processed meat possible. Yeah. Um, which is possibly why I was a little heavy in middle school. Well, so, uh, well... As you know, I've been thinking about writing more stuff for uh, my website, but I've been thinking back about how my diet has evolved over time, what I used to eat now versus what I, or what I used to eat then versus what I eat now. Mm -hmm. And uh, yeah, at some point, maybe later on in the podcast, I would like to talk to you about that because I think it's interesting, the idea of, of kind of gaining wisdom or knowledge about your diet. Mm-hmm. And then applying it. But everyone always kind of gains it much later on in life. And they are always like, oh, man, if only I'd known then. It's kind of like a classic thing. But yes. um, I'd love to talk more about just, you know, how we can get people on that track a little earlier. Or, like, you know, what made you come to that realization? What made you change? Stuff mm-hmm. like that. Because um, I think that would be helpful for a lot of people. Because everyone kind of comes to that realization sooner or later i feel like do you you think that it's at all related to um 
an adult's grip of mortality or longevity. That's the reason I ask is because that's when it came about in my life when yeah. I realized I wasn't unbreakable and that I was going to have, you know, hopefully a long life, but that my decisions now were going to affect to my future. The future, yeah. Yeah. So what I've noticed is that a lot of people so health is a privilege and current times are very indicative of that but people kind of like anything you just you don't think about it um if like the reason i've always thought about health and food is because i've always been sick Mm -hmm. as a kid and everything like that healthy kids have no reason to think about stuff like that because they're healthy that's you know why yeah it's it's a privilege um and I think it's the same thing. Like most or many people are healthy up until uh, you have a heart attack or your doctor diagnoses you with something. And then you're kind of like sideswiped by this uh, reality of, of you know, like you said, like either future or even present, you know, mortality concerns. Mm-hmm. And then you're like, oh, shit, I should think about these things. Yes. But I'm I'm wondering if you can get someone to that point without uh catastrophe striking which also is very interesting in these times as well because this is just like a macro or what we're dealing with with the coronavirus is like a macro version of this personal problem where i think people just the privilege of not having to worry about stuff like that until you do Mm -hmm. but it's a lot better if you plan ahead or if you're a little worried, like if you're worried, you don't have to worry. But if you're not worried, <laughs> you know, like you should yeah. be worried. <laughs> yeah. Uh, in, a, in a couple ways, I feel like privilege is synonymous with uh, ignorance because it's it's just like this blissful blinder that you don't really have to think about because you're in a you're in a particular position where you've been safeguarded. You're in that bubble. No, I think I think that's really accurate because that also um extends to the idea of like white privilege or whatever Mm -hmm. because it's like yes you just didn't have to worry about that you were ignorant to the plights of um other people and so your question is what makes a person who is privileged start being um introspective i guess about these issues that they haven't had to deal with yet Yes. So there's, or or, it's, or to put it in the frame of ignorance, like, how do you transition willingly from ignorance to wisdom without some external catastrophic event? A catastrophic catalyst. Yes. Because people, people don't just wake up and they're like, hey, I want to change all my behaviors and my life. Like, there's some sort of... Um, typically there's some sort of external event or something that does catalyze that to be like, oh shit, I need to make a change. What mm-hmm. I'm doing is not working or I can look far enough into the future to see that the path that I'm on is leading to disaster or maybe not disaster, but like a higher risk. So by doing this, I am you know maybe it's not affecting me now or maybe i don't notice it now but it's going to affect me in the future or in terms of like just general ignorance like uh i like you just said like being in a bubble so mm-hmm. it's like your bubble is safe ignorance is bliss 
um, how can you convince someone to stop being blissful for maybe like the greater good? Or how do you, how do you sell someone on wisdom and perspective where it's like, these things are really valuable. I know it's fun to be ignorant. It's everyone's much happier as a stupid child, Mm -hmm. but it's like, would you, I don't know. I think the question is like, would you go back to being a toddler? Yes, you'd be happier perhaps, but you know, knowing what you know now, would you go back to being a toddler and being a complete idiot? Is that how you want to live your life? I think it's like not completely analogous, but you know, it's like Mm -hmm. you always look back. I think I said this one or two podcasts ago, or maybe just in passing, but if you look back on yourself 10 years ago and you're like, that guy was great. I think you're an idiot. Yeah. Um, Shout out to 2030 Jamie and Nick that are going to love this podcast. Yeah. Uh, I hope 2030 me looks back at 2020 me and is like, uh, 2020 me was really ignorant and stupid. And I've made in a decade tremendous strides. Um, hopefully. (laughs) Yeah. It, It, you know, going back to, to the question of how to kind of pop the bubble for these people or, or what kind of, what do you, what kind of idea would you incept into someone's brain in order to make them willing to change themselves for the good of the long term? I think it's really interesting when you think it in uh, think about it in the context of teenagers and like mm-hmm. people that are about to go out into the real world. Yeah, and I think that um, you know some very passionate teachers do a good job of this in high school, but not everyone is fortunate enough to have teachers that. Um, that are willing to go to that extra mile. So my question is, you know, what could we possibly do for those kids to make them think about uh, health and longevity? It's a really really tough question. I don't necessarily have the answer, but it's worth thinking about. So I have thought about that a little bit, and I I think about this in terms of learning in general, Mm because it's like school, you know, anecdotally, it's like as a kid school sucks you know kids don't like school why is that because much of the information that we're teaching them isn't immediately useful so it's like learning about old dates and you know fractions and things like that the usefulness of that uh either isn't there or isn't properly explained and so i recently by recently like I would say 2015, like five years ago, is when I fully realized the glory and benefit of science in Mm -hmm. a way that I had not previously... Maybe 2013. Maybe it's been a little bit longer. But Is this before you went to to school? To a scientific site of school? That's why I re... That's why I re... um, Adjusted. Because in 2015, I was already going back to school. So, in 20... But then it was... it That further developed my my idea but it's like science is useful as a tool to understand reality and if you don't understand why understanding reality can be useful you know we have a lot to talk about but it's like so for kids i think we should teach them things that they can find immediately useful um things about how the world works things about you know based like even very like elementary physics or it's like hey if you fall or if you touch a hot stove or what like explaining like what is heat and why does this burn you or like you know things like that to a three-year-old might be interesting because they're relevant to them um 
similarly my my personal inception nugget so i think that the the bias or i'm biased because of this um was diet because it was presently very useful to me because like if you learn about diet a lot of people are concerned about losing weight superficially which is uh i think you know fine uh we're kind of we can be vain and superficial and i think that can be a good motivator but um also for general health reasons uh but that's more of a long-term thing so it's like yeah you know you're not as concerned about 65 year old you you know having a heart attack what you are concerned about is present day you not looking good on the beach and those mm-hmm. two things that's linking your present self with your future self and can kind of give you that inception in terms of like that eye opener i think um and then for me it was the more i learned and the more results i saw and the more useful it became i kind of was like if i know more about this and it's given me these results what happens if i learn more about other stuff right and then it started the cascade of curiosity yes um Yes. I mean, when I was working out when I was a teenager, when I was bettering my health, when I was a young man, or even before I was a man, when I was an old kid, it mm. was for superficial reasons. It was, yeah. well, you know, it was for physique and, yeah. and, and appearance, but yeah. it was also for um, athletic performance yeah, at that play time. sports. Play sports better. Yes. Uh, yeah. And, and those habits whether they were good or bad some were good some were bad as far as like football training is concerned mm-hmm. some of them like really wrecked my body but others have put these little nuggets in my um in my week to week lifestyle that I've held on to that have bettered my health for the long term but I don't think that I that I gripped what it would really feel like to um to have a body that's eventually going to get worse that's going to get weaker that you have to preserve yeah until um i I didn't have a catastrophic event or anything but i just kind of realized i wasn't invincible anymore i think it's hard to have that perspective as a teenager because um you know how they say your your brain doesn't essentially like fully develop until you're 25 Mm -hmm. and most of still waiting yeah still waiting um (laughs) Most of that development takes place in, like, the prefrontal cortex, which yeah. is the most evolved, higher-thinking part of your brain, which is also kind of the part of the brain that I think gives you that wisdom or that perspective as well, where it's like, you literally, I mean, that's why teenagers are, you know, emotional, self-centered, all these other kind of, like, negative, uh, obsessed with status and socializing mm-hmm. and things like that, um, because those are the parts of the brain that are more active, more grown, you know, that's a lot of, a lot of hormones running through those bodies too. Yes. That, that has uh, a lot to do with it. Um, so if you, if you kind of like take raging hormones plus underdeveloped brains, you know, teenagers make perfect sense. If you account, (laughs) if you account for those things, you know? Yeah. Uh, shout out to all the high school teachers, especially in this time, high school and middle school teachers. You're you're adapting to a crazy new digital situation, and you already have a tough job keeping the attention span of the most yeah. hormonal in the lifetime of you know of people, kids 
and um, I've seen a lot of really cool, a lot of really cool developments and kind of audibles by these teachers in the past uh, two three weeks. At least they've come onto the news and become more public. Yes, yeah. I know some teachers personally, and they're, you know, they love their job, man. That's a I don't want to say it's thankless, but it's it's underappreciated. It's uh, certainly underappreciated, and it's one of those jobs that you you don't get in it for the money. You know, you right. have to love it. You have to want to do it to do it, or else you go insane. Yeah, yeah. I'm I'm just going to um, I'm just going to say that one of the we we talked last week about a couple a couple pieces of media and software that were kind of getting us through this time and one thing that i've really enjoyed watching this week was john krasinski's some good news and he does a really nice uh a really nice and mostly funny piece on how he's homeschooling his kids now mm. you know um I, I would recommend you all watch some good news with John krasinski it's lovely it's lighthearted. he's focusing on the positive end of the news spectrum right now which is which is hard to do and he also he talks about this concept uh albeit briefly but um anyway props to you teachers who are who are trying to incept these little nuggets into these hormonal brains we we really appreciate you and i think both of us have had a great teacher to make us possibly get to this point oh so. i've had the the luck good luck of having a number of really good teachers um mm -hmm. that i i credit for a lot um broadly i think and especially if you consider that biology that we just said and then if you also consider the biology of like teenagers and kids um oftentimes need more sleep and need to wake up later and a lot of things like that not to mention just the curriculum but I, I've been thinking a lot about uh, institutions and systems, and because of how fucked up they are. But it's like education is so broken and so uh, fucked right now, where it's just like, you know, whatever education is for, you know, whatever kids go to school for, mm -hmm. however you want to answer that question. I don't think it is doing a satisfactory job of whatever that is. However you want to answer that question, it's expensive. And and a lot of parents that are dealing with their kids right now, school is daycare for a lot of parents. You know, school is just time to socialize. Is school producing the minds that are that we want in the job market? I don't know. So don't are you so. saying are you saying that it should be more in your opinion that it should be more personalized or that the curriculum of American schools in general should be looked at and reformed? I think school as an institution we should almost start over. And and here's why. It's a big statement. Yeah. But so here's how like, roughly how school started was um school initially was basically a like a religious teaching thing where it's like learn how to read so you can read the bible and then it was like a factory indoctrination thing like go to school until you're old enough to work in a factory and basically we're going to mold you into a 
uh, an obedient factory worker. That's why there's this whole, you get to school, you say the Pledge of Allegiance, you say, good morning, Mrs. So-and-so, they say good morning. It's like, it's very regimented. That's just like working in a factory. What that does, and then it's like, learn these topics that we thought were important 200 years ago, you know? Uh, we haven't done much updating in that time. We haven't accounted for all the new information as far as learning styles, uh, mm-hmm. biology, um, relevance, updating the curriculum, um, understanding that we we don't work in a an industrial economy anymore. We we thrive on intelligence. Uh, we we thrive thrive on like creativity rather than memorization Mm -hmm. um so it's like why should and now that we have you know the internet memorizing things is less useful than it's ever been so having like the conceptual framework and the knowledge of how to do research and how to how to access and and discern what information is correct is way more important than memorizing years because you have a compendium of knowledge in your pocket that can tell you what year anything happened in yeah so it's like memorizing that i don't think is a good use of your mental capacity next week or sometime soon i would love to if any of our teacher friends or educator friends are willing i would love to talk to someone who's in the current system so we can get a, a fresh perspective on this because when we went to school when we were in middle school and high school it was just at the forefront of computers being around and the internet being around. We also didn't have like Common Core and the new kind of teaching things that have come into play in yes. the last ten years or yes. so. So like I I got taught to type and I got taught Microsoft Excel mm-hmm. in its very early, you know, primordial stages almost. Oh, yeah. But besides that, like we didn't have Wikipedia, all of these really the the resources that you're talking about that everyone has in their pocket we did not have when yes. we were in school yep. so i would i would love to hear a teacher or educator or school administrator's take on how they have updated the curriculum yeah with with that in mind because even in college i had a couple classes where our professor was like you know what and for every uh, three errors that Encyclopedia Britannica has. Wikipedia only has four, and for that reason, I will let you cite Wikipedia, and I'd appreciate it if you cite the the article that Wikipedia cites, cites yeah. as well. Yeah, cite the citation. But it it was adapting when when I was in school ten years ago. Yeah, you know, and I appreciate that. It, I, I would love to talk to somebody about this because on a on a um curriculum basis i agree with you where i think there should be some real updating of what kids are learning before they come into the real world yeah and i have some educated but also i would say pretty just in the dark opinions about what um how how we should specialize education to each individual student i have no idea what the ramifications of that would be to a standardized school system so i don't want to make a grand statement but you know Teaching someone how to at least balance a checkbook and how credit cards work yes, yeah. would be a game changer. It would it would set people up for a lot. You you wouldn't hit as many road bumps. Um, a crit. Speaking of privilege, a little bit. Um, a criticism that I've heard is that schooling like that assumes 
this is the same reason why um, things like health, nutrition, basic life skills uh-huh. kind of have this lesser or, or are not even taught at all in school because it's the assumption of the school system that your parents will teach you those things. Mm. And that is, to me, a privileged take <laughs> where it's like, how are you evaluating or assuming that these parents are capable of teaching their children that? How do you know if that's happening? And similarly, like, um, if your parents aren't uh, financially literate, which I think most people's parents probably aren't on the grand scope of things. Mm-hmm. Obviously, I mean, I haven't needed to balance a checkbook because I haven't used checks in like 15 years. But, huh. sim- but a checking account. A checking account, yes. Being able to check your checking account or even just knowing how to open a checking account, how to go to a bank. Uh, a lot of the people I've worked with in the past haven't had bank accounts. That's so wild. People that are adults that don't have bank accounts, which is also why people are running into trouble with, um, or I mean, why the uh, dispersal of these stimulus checks are going to be a problem. Right. Because it's like, if you had direct deposit in your bank account for the IRS and paying taxes, boom, this will happen probably in the next week or two. If not, it's going to take months or whatever for all these checks to be mailed out. But it's like, the real question is, you know, why Why doesn't everyone have a bank account? It is such a useful tool to have where it's like, if you're keeping your money in a shoebox or something in your closet, one, it's insecure. Two, you could be making more money. Three, you're losing out on massive convenience, X, Y, and Z. Yeah. But it's like, there are free, zero-cost checking accounts to open. Why don't so many people have these things well the question we're asking right now is why aren't they educated to the point where they know the benefits of these accounts yeah there's really unless you're doing you know uh illegal shit um there's really no downside to having a bank account (laughs) that i can think of yeah i've i've never thought about it um Um, that's probably some privilege you know, uh, but but so I mean, I have I have thought about that, but um, yeah, I mean, unless you're uh, not trying to deal with the system, which is fair, but then you're you've got a whole other slew of things. But it's like, you know, the average person should have a have a bank account. It makes your life easier. So the only thing I can imagine, and I'd love to ask someone who doesn't deal with banking what what their you know rationale is, but it's like. It's a good idea. But same thing. I I mean, I guess it is a degree of privilege, but that's kind of what all like knowledge is privilege. But the whole point of having an education system is to kind of like even the playing field to a certain extent, to a certain extent, because it's like, okay, everyone should, should be literate, you know, like literacy is a privilege. Yeah. You know, we, a lot of people are still illiterate. A lot of people, more people are, uh, not numerate, you know, a lot of people can't, can barely do math. Don't think I've ever heard that word before, which is because I am both literate and numerate, Numerate. but that's a new one for me. Yeah. Um, only because I follow a lot of economists and nerds on Twitter. Do I know? Love about, that word. about numeracy, yeah. I mean, I have to use uh, numeracy uh, for my job. Yes, every day. Yeah, you know. Well, and, and most people do. 
in some and here this goes back to like the usefulness of education where it's like okay addition subtraction multiplica- multiplication how useful is should you harp on long division for a long time because it's like hey here's the concept of long division you never do long division by hand no i think it's useful to understand that concept but i don't think that should be something that like kids aren't passing math for and then what about the- 40 years ago 40 years ago yes which I- which by the way is 1980 oh my god yeah. but do you Let's, think yeah. even even in 1980 it had more value but now that the computer not computers calculators are allowed in almost every school classroom yes. um the value I- of that has diminished i completely agree with yeah. you same thing with um I also think like algebra and geometry and calculus should be wrapped up into like two years of high school. I don't think you need a math class in every year of high school because I think those concepts are important. But I think like, hey, um, maybe think more about like health and things like that, life skills, and maybe learning another language is probably more important than learning geometry at this point. I would rather know Spanish than geometry right now in terms of usefulness to me personally. So, okay, in fifth grade, yeah, and and this is going to take a minute to come back around to your point, but I agree with you. In in fifth grade, they go. I went into my art classroom, and they had six different stations, and each one of them had a different instrument. And they're like, all right, we want you to try out your competency in these five or six instruments. You play, they tell you how good they think you are, you know, obviously not brutally. And then at the end of the day, however many instructors recommended that you had like a a natural knack for this instrument, they recommended and be like, you have to play cello or you have to play trumpet, right? And then you got to make your informed decision on what you wanted to do after you pl- tried it out, right? It, it, applying that to mathematics. Really quick, just to clarify. Okay. They recommended it, what they thought you should do, and you got the ultimate choice? Yes. The, okay. Because I was like, I hate the idea of like gatekeepers being like, we need you to play the cello. You're a flute guy now. Yeah, it's like, what? I don't yeah. want that. Yeah. You know. So I was just making sure, because hey, like trying everything out, and then making a decision, I think, is is great. Yes, um, and informed recommendations from those, you know, quote, experts. Yes. Uh, I don't know who they were. I yeah. was in fifth grade. Yes. But, but <laughs> before, I mean, this is this is a true story for me. Yeah. Like, uh, the cello teacher and the trumpet teacher were like, you're really good at this. We think you'd be great at this. Yeah. You should come play trumpet or you, cello. You have a, perhaps from what they saw a natural or an, an inclination that they were like, Hey, if, if you nurtured this, it could maybe be something instead of just going down a bunch of random paths, yeah. you, you honed it down, but then you got to make that choice. So the reason I bring it up yeah. is we're talking about mathematics and how maybe some of that could be condensed and substituted for a more useful life skill yes. in high school. Yes. Right. So, uh, being a math lover and a language lover, 
those kind of went hand in hand for me. I enjoyed having math every year, except for trigonometry. Hated that class, but I'm glad I took it. But also, I loved taking Spanish. I liked English when the teacher was right, you know. Um, So the point I'm trying to make is, if there was some sort of instrument room like that for subjects, like, and there are standardized tests, of course, but I would love to have them be like, hey, do you find this catapult interesting? Do you know what kind of force this is outputting? Or, hey... These are people in Portugal that are speaking this language. Do you find this industry interesting? And then after that, maybe we alter your curriculum one hour a day to yes. facilitate those things. See, I think you could go even further with a um, like a build your own curriculum within certain limitations. Mm-hmm. So. God, we gotta get a we gotta get a school person on here. We yeah. gotta get a teacher. A on school here. person. <laughs> we gotta get one of them learned yeah, folk. You, you need a school person. Yeah. <laughs> um, uh, I swear I'm numerous. No, but um, but yeah, I lo- I love that idea. But I think it could go even further because there's this whole idea of you know when you force a little kid to read something that they're not interested in, they learn that reading sucks. But mm. if you just say, hey, pick a book. If you're interested as, like, you know, little kids are in, you know, whatever they are, dinosaurs or something like that, if they get hooked on reading about dinosaurs, eventually they'll get bored with that. But it's like they'll be good at reading and they'll know how to research a topic Mm -hmm. where it's like if you force them to read stuff that they don't care about at all. You're teach you're teaching them the wrong lesson, which is that reading sucks. Similarly... If you're like, hey, are you interested in Spanish? Let's teach you about it. Hey, I, I know that there are some kids, me not being one of them. Are you interested in math? Let's go into that. You know, explore what you're into mm-hmm. way more than these pre-established things. We can have a smaller baseline. Like I said, like everyone should more or less know how to read. You can teach people how to read in a lot of ways. Everyone should more or less know, you know, some very basic science, some very basic uh, math. But it's like getting into specialty stuff. Why should that not be um, chosen by the individual student? Well, we've reached an interesting point in our discussion, which is point number one. How do we get people to care about subjects they don't care about that are important which is what the example we've had is managing a checkbook or health your diet these things okay that's point one point two we should have uh kids pursue things that they show a competency or interest for um in the school system how do we balance point one and point two where uh, listen i'm 16 i don't give a shit about your checkbook yeah i don't care if you know i should be eating turkey instead of straight up like the most fattiest steak yeah you know it doesn't apply to me right now type thing that's the that's the The uh, bridge yeah that's the bridge we need to find the middle ground so i think the bridge is is empathy where if you understand the perspective of a 16-year-old, how is this useful for them? Or how will it be very soon 
uh, useful for them because, hey, um, a lot of teenage acne is hormonal, but acne has to do with your diet. If once again, it's like linking mm-hmm. it to the present, the superficial, you know, um, I know a lot of, I mean, my brother probably, eh, he might listen to this, but he had really bad acne as a teenager. Same Matt. Yeah. Same. <laughs> um, but as soon as he made changes to his diet, it went away because doctors were like, Oh, this is part of being a teenager here. Like take these pills, rub this cream, blah, dry blah. your face out. Yeah, dry, you know, none of that worked. What did work was not eating wheat anymore. Wow. He, he stopped eating wheat and his face cleared up and he has a perfect complexion now. So it's like, tell that to a snot-nosed 16-year-old <laughs> kid that's you know whining about shit like that. So it's like, how do you make it useful? I didn't think, I and going back to what I first said, I didn't fully understand the usefulness and beauty of science because I didn't understand how it related why was it relevant to me and nutrition and subsequently like biochemistry it's what your body's doing all the time you usually don't have to worry about it mm-hmm. but if you're interested in any way um in how your body works or if you are interested also for example like you said like working out or muscle growth there are a lot of things that knowing science can help you out with that yep you know so it's like understanding what protein is knowing what a branch chain amino acid is it's not just like oh god what's all this fucking jargon that this teacher's telling me about it's Mm -hmm. like no this is how you like build muscle and perform better as as an athlete or as a human being Mm -hmm. and to me that's exciting because it's useful it's like learning science or learning any information it's like uncovering a a treasure or a secret that Mm -hmm. can it's like uh, getting a magic item in D and D. You're like, holy shit! I can mm-hmm. use this, yeah. and it's it gives me a huge advantage in life. Yeah, and it's like if you don't want life advantages, fine. But I think a lot of people <laughs> do. <laughs> you know? I do love the concept of all information is a privilege, which I, I've never really thought about that concept. I've I've thought about the periphery of that concept a yes. hundred times, but. That is a really interesting sentiment, and it is so true. Well, it's um, it's also like the knowledge is power cliche. Yeah, yeah. Where it's like that is a cliche, but it is very true. And like how you apply that is, uh, you know, can make a huge difference in your life. Uh, I forget what the name of the the effect is. It's one you're well familiar with, but um, the more you know, the less you know. Um, so the more you have researched, you realize you, you have just enough knowledge to know that you know nothing about this topic. Yeah. Well, I think broadly that's just perspective. You know, I think, I think people's perspective, and I know what the opposite of that is called, uh, which is if you don't have much perspective, you don't realize how little perspective you have. Yes. So as you learn more and as you get deeper into a subject, that subject t- tends to branch off and touch on all these other subjects. And then you're like, oh, my God, uh, I really don't know anything. Can we get kids to a point where they have a, a good enough amount of perspective to the point where they realize what really interests them and then and then from there really dig in and give them the tools 
I to th- pursue those. I think that's what happens by accident to nerds. Yes. So they get so passionate about a topic, and then they they it, they blow up. They go into everything. Mm-hmm. So it's like the kid who is like every single horse girl I knew in in elementary school. You're gonna have to elaborate on what that is. There's always one girl in your elementary school that's obsessed with horses. Okay. She's like the okay. horse girl. She's okay. obsessed with them, but she gets Not so... Not like the fancy equestrian, but just like, uh, just be, obsessed with sometimes horses. Sometimes, depending on the socioeconomic status of your neighborhood, <laughs> those two things coincide. Because when um, you say horse girl, that can be interpreted. Centaur. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I, there's there's one centaur in every at, fucking middle at, school. Yeah, I went to school at Hogwarts. You know. <laughs> All right, um, continue, continue. But you know what I'm saying? Or pick anything. It's like if a or the kid that is super obsessed with. Um, I think I knew kids that were like very obsessed with like like old wars or bo- old boats or yeah. you know something. Pick anything. But if you become hyper interested or nerd nerd out on something, you just dive into you deep dive into something and you keep going until you hit a wall but you tend to progress in this kind of like um i think in neuroscience they call it the zone of proximal development and what that means is you're always putting one foot in front of the other where it's just like you're in this zone of your back foot is is comfortable. You have that information, but your front foot is in a in new territory, and so you're always interested and you're always learning something new, mm-hmm. and that's very exciting. And you're pulled forward by knowledge, and so if you can find the one thing that a kid is interested in and give them that like first uh, little piece of candy, they'll follow the trail, you know, all the way. Until they hit a wall, and then, or maybe they'll find another uh, branch of candy that they're interested in, where it's just like, holy shit, you know, boom, 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 it branches out. True. If if that kid is interested in learning, I think. But even not even learning, learning is like a a byproduct of of passion or of interest in general. So that's what I'm saying. Where it's like the person who's interested in horses learns more about horses naturally. So therefore they they just know how to learn about something. Mm-hmm. And so if they find another interest, they now know how to like become a master at that interest. So like there's a reason that nerds in school and I also think there are probably of course some ingrown or inborn like genetic predispositions towards learning and interest and growth and what your personality is versus like you know what your environment is and all these other things but i'm just saying like in general um if you become interested in something you deep dive into it you kind of can't help but get good at learning yes because the motivation to learn is so strong the motivation to learn fractions is not very strong the motivation to learn everything you can about great white sharks for very, me, strong. It's very strong, very strong, strong as hell. Just like the jaws of a great white Just, yeah. shark. Mm-hmm. Well, it, it's really, it's really a delicate balance. You know, if if the kid or if if the if the child has a passion for something, cultivating that area 
of learning for them or sparking that for Mm -hmm. them is great. And then balancing that with, you know what? Even if you hate math, you're going to have to know this much to live a functional life. Yeah. Or you're going to have to be this literate to work at any of these companies. Yeah. You know, however however that may play out, it's a really the interesting base, the balance. baseline knowledge or whatever. Right. Um, you know, I, I go back and forth in my head whether or not I think, um, whether if I had kids, which I don't, but if I did, whether I would want them to go to a standardized school or like something like a, a Montessori mm-hmm. or, you know, just like a, a new, I don't know if it's even new wave at this point. Well, a more, uh, less standard, well, less mainstream. Yeah. More Not, specialized. Yes. Like, let me put it in this, in this context. I went to a, a standard public school all the way up, but, uh, one of my cousins went to an art academy, which was K through 12. From the time he was five until the time he was 18, he was um, taught to dance, sing, play instruments, all this stuff. I have an artistic part of myself. I, at the time, thought I would love it. But I'm very happy that I have some of the drier knowledge that I learned. You know, I'm glad that I was taught physics instead of dance. And for other kids... I'm sure it's the opposite of the case because they've gone into the creative arts and that's their, you know, lifeblood. But it's anyway, like, do you I digress. Need, but but it's, uh, I think it's the option of going I- to either school, you know, because... Yeah, but when do you pick that? When you're five? Well, well exa- so I was just going to say, but when do you pick uh, what you want to do for the rest of your life? When you're 18? You know, <laughs> yeah. it's fucking stupid at all points, but at all points, I think you should be able to pivot a little bit because, yes, you're dumb when you're five, but you should make it a justified choice that a five-year-old would make. Um, and then if you decide differently when you're 10, you should be able to pivot again. And I think that should be okay. And eventually you'll kind of maybe get on the right situation. Something I thought of, uh, just going back to kind of the overall structure of school where it's like knowing what we know about, uh, willpower and, um, and learning all math should be okay so if you if math is not your favorite subject what you should do then is is get it out of the way the first thing in the morning the first thing you do your willpower and your attention wanes over time so if you get up and you go to school at 10 in the morning because that's when school should start you take math as your first class of the day you have the highest willpower the highest concentration you are most alert. You can get it out of the way. And then you do the fun stuff later. It's the same way that uh, a lot of really successful adults structure their day. Do the most necessary or the most important or the work you hate first. Because if you do all the easy stuff first, you're not going to want to do the hard thing later. So it's like knowing this is like, why aren't we structuring school that way? I, well, because each kid's different. Well, of course, but I'm saying, why aren't we structured? We're not even trying to structure it like that. I think this is incredible life advice. I think getting the hard stuff out of the way and approaching it first and letting your day become not more easy, but something you're more interested in is an incredible way to approach your day. Yeah. Um, I I always enjoyed, uh, once I learned that tactic, taking tests that way, 
You know, if I had find uh, the hard problems, yeah. find the hard problems, because you know what, you do have the most attention at the beginning of that. Um, fatigue, mental fatigue, and physical fatigue are real. Yeah, you know, and willpower, and your brain is is you know it's an organ, but if you treat it like a muscle, it gets it gets tired after a while of like working on a problem or doing something. You just you zone out or you lose interest or whatever and um yeah so so starting off with what's either the hardest the most challenging uh or the most important what you absolutely need to get done do that and then do the stuff that you can do with less brain power i'd be really interested to see you know for for sat courses or act courses so if somehow you're listening to this outside the United States, which I highly doubt. The SAT and the ACT are kind of our standard placement tests uh, to uh, get accepted into college. Let's assume that our six listeners are... Hey, it's already done. All right? I've already explained it. Okay? So I would, I would be really interested to see if, okay, these 30 kids take an SAT or ACT prep course, right? They score highest in these three categories and lowest in these three categories. If we put the lowest three categories, the ones that they are not great in, the ones that will be harder for them first, mm-hmm. and then put the ones that they are competent or over-competent in second yeah. versus the opposite, I'd be very interested. I'm sure studies have been done, but I'd be very interested to see what the scores looked like for those two sets of kids. Yeah. Because... I, I think they'd be higher uh, in the in Group A. Yeah. Well, and and probably based on what I'm pretty sure is true, but also there's a certain if you're not competent in something, it doesn't matter when the fuck you do it, you're going to be bad at it. You know, where it's <laughs> yeah. like if you don't know it, you don't know it. But my point is, you know, if you know what to do, even if you know what to do, sometimes at the end of the day, it becomes difficult to do. Mm-hmm. So yeah. Um, but above everything else, just, you know, knowing it is uh, is the most important. And to reiterate, the best way to know something is to convince yourself that it's useful for you to know it. Yeah. So, in summary for this segment... Yeah, we can... We can I didn't anticipate this being a rant on uh, education and pedagogy or pedagogy right now, but... Yeah, this is a long way from Easter brunch, but you know what? I have enjoyed this discussion, and it it has made me think a lot about the education I was lucky enough to receive and how I wish now, as a 31-year-old, it would have been different as far as um, kind of um, lending itself to my interests. Um, Anyway, in summary, if you're passionate about something when you're going through school, pursue it be a nerd about it outside of school be a nerd about it in school bring a book to the library at lunch and eat a cheese cube you know i think nerdiness has become more acceptable now it's it's not as it's not associated with much of a negative as much of a negative connotation as it was when we were going through school i think but that might be uh, an out of touch older guy perspective but i really think that you can you can own the nerdiness now I think that it's like a subset of coolness now. Well, it's you have to be you have to be confident about your interests and also be passionate. Like passion is infectious. Um, in terms True. of like, if you're super excited about something, other people will get excited about it. 
because people be like, whoa, why are you so about this thing? And yeah. it's like, because it's the best. And it's just like, I want to know what the best thing is. Yeah. You know, other people will get interested. Um, Charisma and leadership, two skills you can't really teach that are heavily sought after in the business world. Straight yeah. up. But that comes from, I. Th- a lot of those things are developed by having legitimate interests. Yes. And, and a def- lot... Sorry, go ahead. A lot of people... Uh, <laughs> Just to tie two things into our current quarantine situation, um, a lot of people are discovering that they don't have that many hobbies or interests. Yeah. There's so many tweets where it's like, hey, I just found out all my hobbies are going out to eat and touching my face. (laughs) (laughs) Um, But it's like people who are passionate and interested, you're not just filling up your time with kind of like superficial socialization which also is crucial and important another thing we're discovering but it's like you've got your own drives and your own passions that are um really add character and depth to your life in a way that is super rewarding um but those things when you're a little kid sometimes you get punished for having those things and and as an adult i feel like a lot of people feel as if they don't have time for those things uh, but those things can be super valuable. And second point really quick, uh, and then I think we should take a break. But second point is to wrap back on this whole teaching thing is now that a lot of people uh, are either not going to school, their school is canceled, they are doing school over Zoom, they are homeschooling their kids. Um, this is just what made me think of education in the first place, where it's like people are realizing we could be doing it differently. People are realizing how valuable teachers are. People are realizing that maybe the status quo of the education system is not how we should be doing it. Should more college be online? Should teachers be paid more? You know, et cetera. Yes. Yeah. So, uh, yeah, I think now's a great time to take a break. Uh, Pursue your passions. And maybe we'll talk about in our second segment here what we have what we have realized and what we have begun to prioritize since the quarantine has become more of a normal uh, week to week instead of a day to day. Yeah. Other things that have been um, thought provoking from the quarantine coming up. We're back with the hunky string. We still hate Uh, it, but it's still the name of the episode. Yep. I should have come up with a new name while we were on break, but that's fine. Yeah. Uh, we, uh, as we alluded to before the break here, we just wanted to talk about a couple things. Basically, now that this this quarantine or isolation or pandemic, however you want to categorize it, has become more of a, uh, a I don't want to say a way of life, but now that it's not new... Now that it's it's kind of sunken in that this is where we'll be for a little bit, you know, we're, we're by any minimal extrapolation. Who knows how long? Right, we're we're in this for at least as long as we've been in it so far. Yeah, the shock has worn off. Yeah, so the questions that we want to answer, just personally, are what have you found value in? As Nick talked about in the first segment, what sparks joy what Marie Kondo 
uh, parts of your life, your routines, your habits, and I'll ask it directly to you, Nick. Like, what have you found having lost most uh, social functionality? You're you're here with me and Allie in yeah. the house. What sparks joy about your routine or about what you were doing before this all took place? Have is there any has there been anything that surprises you? Other than the spam, nothing has surprised me. Uh, but what more? It's more like what has reinforced things that I had already found joy in doing, but I find even more relative joy in doing them now because there aren't other things that to like uh dilute them like distractions no well so the two things i'm thinking of that really uh that i really enjoy doing uh in quarantine that i i have always enjoyed doing but now they are kind of the things that i love to do or that i find some like ground in in, in quarantine um are cooking and reading Mm. So those are my two kind of uh, things that have anchored me a lot. And then probably third is uh, listening to uh, conversational or interview podcasts. But um, cooking and reading and listening to podcasts are things that I like to do in in life generally. Pre-Rona. Pre-Rona, uh, but I have found an increased value in them um, because there are things, yeah, I mean, not that it's all that I'm left with, but it's like I now rely on those things more than ever for um, joy or stimulation or interest or, or whatever. Um, mm-hmm. So it's like, you know, uh, while I had opportunities to fill my time with all kinds of things before uh now that time is limited i find more value in those things than ever um just because that's kind of like what i'm not like what i'm left with but i have more time to focus on those things and uh i'm realizing i always found them valuable but um i'm definitely seeing their value now so they find the vaccine, they find the cure tomorrow, and magically it's distributed throughout the entirety of America within the next week. Yeah. And you know that it's safe to go out and, and let's just say resume your previous life. Sure. You think that in that next chapter, you are going to place more value on cooking and reading. Yes. And make that more of a part of your lifestyle. Yeah, so it was uh, overall, but kind of, so like the inverse of that is, um, I went out to eat uh, not a ton, but a decent amount, or I would get some kind of, you know, quick or you know whatever that I didn't really that I didn't make for myself in some way. Yeah, and um, I I realized that all of that is fully unnecessary i get very little actual value from that it's more of just like convenience or laziness or you know habit or it's easy um sure there's a social aspect to it as well social aspects and of course but i just get so much more i really just like cooking for myself and um if everything 
went back to normal, uh, I think I would just hopefully continue. And this is, well, not to get too off topic, but it's like, who knows if I will go back or not, because all those things that were convenient, it's because like, you know, if I'm hungry as hell, uh, at midnight on the way home from work going to white castle is the easiest thing is that terrible yes do i get real value from that no but it's like the series of events that led me to white castle aren't possible right now so it's a lot easier for me to say that i love cooking and or i always love cooking but it's easier for me to say now that it's like oh yeah i won't go do that but if i fall back into that same trap then you know, what's to stop me from doing that necessarily? Yeah. Uh, our friend Heather did tell me yesterday that a White Castle opened up in Arizona and there was a five hour wait for White Castle. I mean, that's kind of like what happened when um, Popeyes did their chicken sandwich thing. Oh, I mean, people, you know, people were stabbed. Yeah. Uh, but that's amazing to me, and it makes me totally reevaluate my look on In and Out Burger because I think of it as like the beautiful forbidden fruit of the West. Um, but it's just amazing to me because like White Castle, although it has its you know its own value, same thing with Checkers, yep. all those yep, sure. you know low end fast food mm-hmm. restaurants. It's really you know it's really not that great but if you get it for the first time it's like when all those sonic commercials came out so anyway not know, to... what, I, know what i learned recently that is really relevant to that is okay. the um this is from a i believe yale happiness researcher i wish i could remember her name but i was just listening to a podcast with her she was talking about the the craving part of your brain and the liking or like pleasure part of your brain are different and they're not the same. So you can crave something. So for example, you have a craving for White Castle, but when you get it, you don't even like it that much necessarily to the relation of your craving. And I'm using White Castle as a stand in, but imagine anything where you're like, man, I really want this, or I really could go for this, or I want, you know, chocolate or beer to go shopping or you know whatever people but when you get it like a lot of times you don't even like it that much and she compared it to addiction and she was just like the craving that a heroin addict has when they get heroin they're just getting up to normal it's not even they don't even like it that much they just crave it and that difference was really profound to me and just thinking about fast food, because, um, yeah, sometimes I'll have a craving, but when I get it, I'm like, yeah, I'm no more satisfied from this than I was, you know, just eating something at home. You're not nutritionally enriched from eating seven sliders at White Castle? Yeah. <laughs> well, let me ask you this. So, you know, cooking, you've put value on it. It has yeah. enriched your life and sparked joy yeah. in, in this isolation. Oh, and... Sorry to keep interrupting you, but specifically, I really like not only just cooking for myself, but cooking for you guys. It's been wonderful. Uh, Nick was the one who cooked our lovely uh, Easter brunch today, and it was great. And uh, I'm very glad because, as you know, I'm not a very experienced cook, you know, willing to learn in certain aspects. But my question to you is, 
with cooking enriching your life and this becoming kind of something you've realized on an internal level that you enjoy doing and that uh, I would say uh, without too much extrapolation, you know, it's something that you'd like to build on as you get older. Mm -hmm. Have you ever cooked something that you've craved like White Castle? Have you ever made anything that hit that bliss point? Holy shit, yeah. Um, I am so Paint much me a picture. I'm so much of a better cook than White Castle. <laughs> um, Can confirm. I mean, uh, like a million things. So I crave the. Uh, I make this amazing chicken vegetable soup that is insane. Um, I think uh, one of our friends. That's the chicken pot pie thing you made us. No, that thing was also that good. That was insane. Uh, do you remember when I was living in Royal Oak, um, uh, Matt said, he's like, this soup could cure cancer. <laughs> and uh, anyway, so I make that. I mean, even like many of the many of the mac and cheeses or like, like noodly things. I mean, the, the pot roast that I made last night... Uh, when it was done at like 11, uh, I made it for, for like today or the rest of the week, but I, I picked off like a little, you know, yeah. chunk and holy fuck, it was insane. Like it was dripping off the bone when I last looked at yeah. it at like 7 PM last night. Yeah. So it's like that, um, leaves white castle in the dust by, by far. Yeah. And it's so much better. It's better and it's better for you, but it requires m- getting over that lid and it's cheaper honestly like that cut of meat oh, truly that cut of meat uh will last me a couple days and it probably costs as much as you know whatever i don't know but anyways like 10 bucks yeah um you pay 10 bucks for one uh you know fancy ass hamburger at a at a TGI Fridays or whatever the fuck. It's mm. probably more like twelve or fourteen dollars now for a yeah. fancy hamburger with a fried egg and avocado on it. But mm. um not to say that's bad, but it's like for ten dollars I can have one of the best things I've ever eaten. It takes a little while and yeah. it takes me a little work doing it, but the reward is huge. I've done something for myself, um and it's something I think the end result is it's delicious. I'm proud of it. Whereas if I go to White Castle, yeah, it's good. It's sleazy, but you know, I feel I feel guilty afterwards. Cheap because, thrills, yeah. Because I mean, as I was talking about earlier, it's like I'm obsessed with diet, and and the reason that, just as a a thing I've realized is like the reason I love trash food so much is because. Uh, I couldn't have it as a kid. Yeah. Because I would get horrifically ill. I've become a little bit more resilient. It still is terrible, but it's like because I was, it's the, like you said about it, it's the forbidden fruit for me, where yeah. it's like mac and cheese, White Castle, all these things were unthinkable for me to eat for the first half of my life. And when I, um, when I, got a car or got some independence some of the first things i would do is like go eat shitty food because i'm like i'm in control now i can do this but you know as i've gotten older i'm like okay rein that in because once again that was my that was my ungrown 16 year old brain um 
But uh, I love that term, ungrown. Ungrown. Yeah. yeah. Undeveloped. Yeah. Uh, but yeah. Uh, so and there's lots of things that I've I've made that are both like whole. I make lots of wholesome things, and also I can make some really fucking unhealthy food. You've eaten some of my truly like you know frankenstein concoctions that have uh defied you know it's like some do you ever remember what was that show it was a youtube show while nick's thinking of this i just want you guys to know that he made the most delicious sodium rich batch of mac and cheese that had both ranch dressing and chicken nuggets in and it was like 10 to 12 minutes of ecstasy as it was going through my GI tract, and then it was just chaos <laughs> for the next 36 hours. It really, um, it hit the bliss point, and then it would have had me tapping out during a wrestling match. It totally dominated me. It was like a, it felt like, uh, like Cleopatra got a hold of me or something, like one of those classic seductresses that was like, this will be great. And I was like, yes, it will. And then yeah. it's like you wake up in a blood draining chamber yeah, in the yeah, bottom yeah. of Egypt. You're in, a, you're in a tub full of ice with your like kidney removed. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Turns out the mac and cheese like basically ruined my kidney anyway, so they can have it. But yeah. Um the uh <laughs> that was I made that when McDonald's it was like a Super Bowl or something special where it was uh you could get fifty nuggets for ten dollars which uh i then just like incorporated into this disaster but that was that's why mcdonald's will never have the subscription yeah, service yeah, each month because yeah. those would, deals come out it would kill us all well yeah. they wouldn't have those deals but um uh it, to loop back around right like you um cooking is something that you've been that you found great value in let's talk about the other one let's talk about reading which we've already touched on a fair amount on this podcast like the quest for knowledge and and bettering your understanding yes. of different topics is very important but why in these times has it sparked more joy uh to use the term or why why has it become more important to you uh, epic meal time was the oh, yeah. was the thing uh, bacon, that I was thinking bacon bacon, 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 bacon bacon strips and yeah. bacon strips. Uh, I was a huge fan of that YouTube channel when it first came out. Um, it's a lot of like fun testosterone on epic meal time. It's like food bros. They are just like it's the broiest uh, food. It's like jackass for for <laughs> food. Um, <laughs> But yeah, so anyway, uh, just, yeah, so reading, um, what I think, and I was just emailing my brother about this a little bit, is like how you, how you kind of figure out what your personal philosophy or ideas are. And what I said was it's like you your mind is like a sieve and you're kind of like sifting through, um, you're like panning for gold in your life and kind of naturally just being out in the world and observing and noticing things. You kind of like, you might get a little, you know, fleck of gold here or there, but books tend to represent, usually it's someone's life's work or a, a big idea that someone had. And especially these books that are considered 
um, classics or uh, really widely loved books are um, like you kind of know that they're going to be important ahead of time because if a million people found some incredible value from this book or, or, you know, something that Plato said a few thousand years ago, people still find that valuable. And you're like, nah, (laughs) fuck that guy. Like, it's like, what the, the fact that people have been making a big deal about this guy for millennia, maybe you should check it out. Or maybe he's got something worth saying. It doesn't that make you curious? Like Mm. what are all the things that Plato's been talking about this whole time that you haven't given a shit about? But my point is, is that the, the likelihood of you finding gold in a book is so much higher than you just encountering it randomly in your life. But then what you do to make your own personal philosophy is that you, you find all these gold nuggets over time mm-hmm. and you mold them together to make your own golden bar, your own golden necklace or whatever. But it's like, that's kind of the representation of your self or your knowledge or philosophy. And I've gotten so much value because instead of just relying on happenstance and accident to kind of like, stumble upon these pieces of gold just wandering around i've kind of made it a point to seek them out and uh my life is like no pun intended like richer because of Mm -hmm. that and having more time in quarantine to read books i told you that i'm reading like eight books right now um because simultaneously simultaneously they're all non-fiction books so if I'm reading a story, I tend to have to read it. Uh, I, I read one fiction book at a time because I have to maintain that continuity of that story. Mm-hmm. But if you're reading nonfiction, it's like reading very entertaining, useful you know, chunks of knowledge. So there's not as much story. I don't have to worry about continuity. I'm just like picking and choosing these nuggets of knowledge. It's like uh-huh. each of those books is like a class period in my day. Yeah, you know, so it's like I'm I'm jumping okay, between I like these. That. So each day I go through, you know, but it's, you know, maybe I'll read three of these books or one of these books one day. The next day I might not read any of those books, but I'll read two other books. You know, whatever I'm kind of like feeling at the moment. I do love the the visual, like a theater of the theater of the mind, like you reading as you're prospecting for little golden nuggets of information that may apply to where you are in your life right now or yeah. what you want your your thought base or your beliefs to be yeah where you're you're basically like bringing these little golden nuggets into the forge and putting them into your you know whatever your brain statue that's yes. a, you know i hate it but but truly yeah bringing that in i love that metaphor because really what you are doing is you are in your brain you know you're you're myelin uh myelinating those axons you're creating mm-hmm. those pathways in your brain that are that are connecting different subsets of thoughts nice neuroscience drop thank like you that. appreciate that uh 
I love that metaphor because that's such a great way to think about uh, reading is, you know, creating your own treasure trove of knowledge and information. Um, To touch back, that just reminded me of like what we were talking about initially is that what I'm reading about right now are all things that I find immediately useful. uh And to go back to like, I'm not reading about shit that I hate right now just to go back to what we were uh-huh. talking about initially, where it's just like, if you give a kid a book that he finds useful and he gets that nugget of gold and then you trade that nugget for something useful or, you know, whatever you get value from that in mm-hmm. some way, then they're like, Holy shit, there are other nuggets out there. And that's what has happened to me. Yeah. So I'm panning for the nuggets that I find useful. I could go look you know, for rubies or I don't know. I don't want to take the analogy too far. But, Let's go emeralds. Yeah, yeah. Uh, but you get what I'm saying. So it's like I I'm finding things that I find incredibly useful, and that actually is what is um, providing the value. And actually, this isn't an analogy, but if you think about reading a book, is you are you're not having a conversation, but you are listening to someone speak that you'll never meet maybe, or you don't know that it's from the past. And instead of like in a time of social isolation, if you're a good reader, it's like someone talking to you, you know, they Mm -hmm. are saying, they are speaking to you through time and space directly into your mind about the thing or one of the things that they thought were the most important things in their life that they discovered. Yeah, like, you know how when you watch a TV show and you're like, I've never had a conversation like this. This is so well written. Like, people don't talk about this on an improvisational basis. Yeah. Yeah, Sorkin. Sorkin. (laughs) (laughs) No one talks like that. (laughs) But truly, reading is a curated set of ideas and thought processes that are, are laid out for you uh, for whatever specific purpose from that author, um, you you'll never get that from from uh, from a back and forth interaction with people, and you can you can access any country or any time period, yeah, and find an author that you connect with and mine those nuggets, yeah, get- and or not even for the same same thing with any good uh, conversation or just listening to someone speak. You can enjoy it for what it is, and you can have fun just reading it uh, or listening to it. Mm-hmm. You don't have to get nuggets. If you if you get nuggets, it's a bonus. But like every conversation I have that I enjoy with another human being, I'm not trying to like get something out of it. It can just be enjoyable for its own sake. And discovering uh, a little beautiful nugget of wisdom or whatever here and there can be rewarding but it doesn't necessarily have to be the goal or the objective like for me i'm kind of on like a kick right now because i'm trying to learn how to be a better writer um so i can kind of do what we're talking about like impart those nuggets to others nuggets to other people i want to i want to chip away at my i want to share my nuggets i want to give you my nuggets um (laughs) put that on the the leaf yeah (laughs) Uh, no, but, but that's a lovely sentiment. But so I'm so I'm trying to, I'm reading aggressively for a purpose. But I think you can also read for pleasure if you associate reading with pleasure, which I think 
can be can can work. The barrier to that is other shit. So it's like, well, first of all, it's literacy as we've talked yes, about. Yes, and then if so, finding that passion. We also touched on this on, in segment one. But then eliminating distractions has been a big one too, because mm-hmm. everything books are slow. Books are. Um, they're not flashy they're not uh they're not fast they're not novel where it's like a video game or a tv show or you know all these other things it's like boom 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 it's like social media it's like you're scrolling through twitter you're just like blah like swiping pictures and instagram or some shit where it's like that is much more um it goes back to like the craving versus liking thing your brain craves that like new shit all the time like blah 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 but you don't necessarily like like it as much or value it as much. Um, and I think like the kind of the focus that it takes to read a book is hard when everything else is distracting you. And when everything else is like, uh, it's like, Hey, enjoy, um, throwing this ball around. But meanwhile, you know, I don't know. There's fucking, I don't know. For me, the barrier to entry pre-rona was the time commitment yes it's i i genuinely enjoy reading but it was the opportunity cost of other stuff that i might uh, might be able to do you know um but like anything you'll you'll make time for it if you really care about it and that's what i was going to say once you start finding gold and you value it then the time commitment is like a no-brainer because you're like hey um it was so fucking useful and so valuable for me to read that book that I, I'd be crazy to not make time for it. Yeah. You know? And so just to get into how I, and so this leads to what, how do you pick what to read? Where are these nuggets? How do you find these nuggets? Like you don't just start panning for gold in Michigan. You're not going to find anything. But if everyone's like, Hey, go to California, you know, you might go out there. Yeah. Or if they're like, you're looking for Petoskey stones. Yeah. I mean, depending on what you're looking for. But, um, the way I find books is, is through podcasts or through people. I've already kind of people who I admire or people who I think are very Mm -hmm. smart. So, um, you know, if you listen to a podcast and they have a guest on and the guest is like, is brilliant and you think they're amazing, I bet they're on that podcast because they're promoting a book. So if you find what they're saying amazing, um, I bet you can go find their book. A lot of times they will also then say, these are the books that I found formative or these are the things that influence me or here's what I'm reading right now. And if you take notes of those books, you don't necessarily have to like go buy them right now, but if you take note of those books and then if you keep track of that and then if you see like hey, wow, Bill Gates loves this book, Obama loves this book, this guy, this guy, this guy also love this book, uh maybe I should check this book out if all these people found gold in this book Mm -hmm. maybe i should too is there any uh any particular one book you'd like to shout out right now that you think our uh six to 36 listeners might like to know about um 
one of the best books I've read recently, and this is also a really good starter book as far as it'll kind of snowball you in the right direction, is a book called Atomic Habits by James Clear. Okay. And the reason that I recommend that book is uh, this guy is an incredibly good writer. Um, It's very simple, but also the book is about uh, habit forming. And if you want to change your life in any meaningful way, you know, it's about developing habits and behaviors to do that. Cause whatever you want or whatever you think, you know, in the end of the day, it doesn't really, doesn't matter. Like what you do is what matters. And he, this book is all about, developing these habits um, to steer your life in the way that you want to steer it. And whether that's, you know, eating better, reading more, spending more time doing X, Y, or Z, this book kind of teaches you the steps and the science, how to do it, but in the most easy to read, uh, well-written way possible. And it's also built in chunks. So you don't have to read it all at once. You can, you know, read a page on the toilet every day and Uh you'll, you'll get a lot out of it. I love, I do love books like that. You know, uh, I've read a few, uh, the one that comes to mind is, uh, uh, blink by Malcolm Gladwell. Yes. Uh, where you can just pick it up for a moment, but I mean, it kind of everything comes towards, uh, he's a great, He's a great author. Oh, yeah. Uh, his podcast is pretty fun, too. Um, Revisionist History? That's right. Yeah. Yes. Um, I, I do enjoy his content, and I, I really enjoy his books. But for those who have forgotten, what is the name of that book? Adam's... Uh, Atomic Habits. Atomic Habits. Thank you. Malcolm Gladwell is a great example of a guy who... Everyone's probably got a couple of these these people out there where you're like, man... Everything they do, I enjoy, or all the work that they put out, Mm -hmm. I seem to enjoy. Malcolm Gladwell, I almost guarantee, somewhere online, on his website or something, he probably has a list of books that he recommends, you know? Yeah. So it's like, everything this guy does is gold, or I really love his work or his style. Find out what he's interested in, check that, and then peruse those books, and pick out of those books that that automatically filters you know apply filters to yeah. these things because there's an ins- you know more books than you can ever read well so in I've a been... million lifetimes out there but it's like so filter them down by people you already like admire and then if he you know has a book on something that you're specifically interested in that he recommends that's a no-brainer that should be the next thing totally. you read yeah I feel like we've been doing that since we were I so I have this vivid memory of of when I was like 14 or 15 years old feeling lost where I was like man I have no idea where to get good music from yeah. I, have, I have no idea where all all I have is the radio mm-hmm. um you know, all the best music's on the radio <sighs> fuck <laughs> we can talk about that later I guess but but I really and and I was uh, I was with my friend Pat Jump and he had this uh, he had an older brother who was like five or six years older than us and he was like oh uh, yeah here's like eight albums and he had already played me some of his stuff and so 
I ended up loving those eight albums, probably by social connection, yeah. but possibly because it was good music. But it's also, he curated that music for you, yeah. you know, so the odds, it wasn't just a random selection, you know, because my brother, my older brother did the same thing for me and he's nine years older than me. So, yeah. um, you know, he gave me, uh, like a Beck CD when I was in second grade yeah, and Influ- you're not gonna find that shit when you're in second no, grade without no, brother. I would hope not, but it's like, <laughs> <laughs> but that influenced my musical taste uh, for the rest of my life. Yeah, um, and it's very much like, but yeah, that curation by someone. You know, at first, you know, maybe he wasn't the best person to curate music for you, but it was like a start. You know, he at least... And it was appreciated. Yeah, and he limited the the field for you in a little way where it's like, you know, because it's a wide world out there as far as not only music or books, but just like information, content. It's the same way where it's like, okay, (laughs) my dad was like, are you watching any Netflix shows? And I'm like, well, like, yeah, there's so many. And he's like, I'm watching this Kiefer Sutherland show, um, fuck, what's it called? Oh, it's on the tip of my tongue. The where last he's survivor the, uh, or whatever. Yeah. He's like the last Ultimate person. Ultimate survivor. Yeah, some shit like uh. that. But I'm like, that's such an old man. Like, that's a show that my dad would watch. Yeah. Um, yeah. The Designated it, Survivor, I think. It's just Designated Survivor with no article. Desi- that yeah, is correct. Designated, designated Survivor. survivor. Um, Allie and I tried to watch it, and it is, oh, it's it's uh, it's old man cheese. I think my dad also watches shit like NCIS and like you know yeah. all those made for old people shows. Um, but but so the point is, <laughs> it's like there's a lot of shit out there. Who you're getting that curation from, and whose whose recommendations are you taking is important. Like what filters are you putting on uh, the content that you're getting, and another thing. Sorry to like, I just keep going into different things in my mind. The content that you expose yourself to, the same way with the people that you expose yourself to, it's like giving that thing or that person a license to brainwash you a little bit because we're we're social and we're mimicking apes. And if you hang around with people or if you associate with like an author you glom onto them or they glom onto you, you know, whether, whether you realize it or not, you're going to get some osmosis either way. Yes. So it's like you become more like your friends, your friends become more like you. There's a phrase where you're the average of the five people you hang around with the most. God, that's terrifying. I've never heard that. Yeah. So think about the company you keep, but similarly think about the media you consume. So if you follow you're also the you're the conglomerate of the people you follow on Instagram or Twitter. You are the product of the music you listen to. You're the product of the books you read. So choosing wisely is important because you don't, you know, 20 years go by, you don't realize it, but all of a sudden you're this person. A lot of that wasn't decided by you. I love the point that you're making, which is, Find people that you respect and let them talk about different types of media or different programs, whether it be TV or books or podcasts or whatever the case may be. 
those people that you respect on these certain topics, let them curate your playlist for these yeah. things. Learn for them. lack of a better term, you know? And and you being the sum of the five people that are closest to you is a great transition for me of what I've found during isolation. Yeah. Which is I have I've been prioritized like we don't physically see anyone besides each other. Yeah. But I I have really realized who who I who I care about in my social sphere and I don't want this to sound harsh to anyone, but there are people that I genuinely miss not talking to and not seeing or whatever that form of communication is. I've tried to make time during this to reach out to them. You know, yes. Uh, wherever they are in the world, I've I've at least ex- extended an olive branch, and the communication that I've had with those people has been has enriched my life so much. And it's not even that they're so like minded. It's there's there's in this small group of people, there's many different ideas, but just knowing that these friends are here and that I have. I can have intelligent conversation with them about topic A, B, or C has been very comforting. Well, it's it's even better if you're not like-minded or if you disagree. Um, so to me, it's about that. And that's when it goes into like a little bit of those deeper things where it's like values where, hey, I know that this person is a generally nice, smart funny thoughtful respectful individual that i love we have a wide range of topics that we're interested in that just makes for a good and interesting friendship and it gets into that like if you trust and respect someone that is the most valuable thing kind of everything else just like falls into place or is it's almost like effortless after that. So because I have people like that too, where it's just like, no matter what, what they think or believe or whatever, I know that the core of them as a human being is something that I like. Yeah. Or respect. Yeah. Yeah. I like or respect or trust. Um, so it's like, we can have, I can learn something from them or they can learn something from me or we can have um, an honest argument or disagreement in good faith where it's like, hey, I know you're a good person and we have differences. That is very compatible. Yeah. That's something that like we're lacking in politics a lot. You yeah. Know? Um, and being friends with someone helps because... you know, An argument that you have with your friend versus an argument that you have with a stranger... Um, are very different things. Arguments with friends are debates with strangers. That's that's a weird way to put it. I would say the the opposite. Debates with friends... Well, I think of debate as, like, friendly. Like, a friendly debate with a friend is, like, an argument with a stranger. Like, haha, we're friends, we're debating this topic, like, it's more of a sport. An argument with a stranger is like, I'm fucking trying to destroy you like it's a difference between a friendly game and like an aggressive game 
I think you and I are tr- are, are trying to make the same point mm. where it's it's just uh, it's a different. You can come at your friend aggressive because you know they're going to take it with that sweet grain of salt yes. type of thing, and have that that argument. Yeah. Whereas with a with a stranger, you have that debate. Well, it's because I know hypothetically, if we were to have a a, a serious debate on something, if we had cats like a, or dogs, yeah, if we had a very strong difference in opinion. I'm basing our difference in opinion, I'm framing it around the idea that you are not a piece of shit. Yeah. And with a stranger, I I either don't know that they're a piece of shit or not, but, and even differently, <laughs> say say it's like we're, we're different political parties, or we're different, like, you know, congressmen or whatever. Sure. Um, if I'm a Republican and you're a Democrat, I'm kind of starting this argument off of, you're a piece of shit shit and we have a disagreement yeah so it's unfortunately a bad, yeah it's a bad faith argument you know so it's like but if you're saying hey i know you're a good person i'm a good person how do we figure this thing out yeah that's a whole different situation you know? i'm not gonna i'm not gonna talk about this for a long time but i really do miss the times where everybody didn't think the other side of the aisle was a piece of shit. Yeah. That that really, like, I'm starting to get warm, nostalgic, fuzzy vibes for those times yeah. where, like, we could all talk to each other as people. Yep. And, and again, I'm not going to, I'm not going to uh, extrapolate on all that too much. All we should do much. is encourage everyone to Google uh, Newt Gingrich. Because <laughs> he's the one who did that, basically. Well. He did. He, he did again, it on purpose. But Google and do your own, uh, do your own shit. But yeah, if you wonder why, hey, how come things used to get done a little bit better, and how come everyone is a tribal, tribally hates each other now? It Newt Gingrich did that on purpose. It's very well documented. Check it out. Damn it, Newt, Newt Scamander. So just bringing it back yep. to what I have found that I want to prioritize after this quarantine number one is relationships with people I really care about the people that I can have those friendly debates with the people that um, you know for for whatever reason are, are in my heart you know just to just to you know condense it that way I've really found that this thing has solidified a handful or a couple of handfuls of people in my life because you know what we can't see anybody who do you want to talk to who do you want to reach out to who's yes, bringing value yeah. to your life and i i don't mean to alienate anybody that i haven't reached out to here <laughs> but truly it it has i've found comfort in the people that have um i don't know i didn't even know that they would bring that I would miss them until they were completely out of my physical sphere. Yeah. And now that they are, I'm like, oh, man, you know, I've got to reach out. And it, it could be through social media. It could be through phone calls. It th- could be through Zoom calls. But that's one thing that I've found myself prioritizing. You know, when I was when I was 18 years old, my dad told me, he goes, listen, when you're going to when you get done with high school, you're going to have 50 friends. And when you get done with college, you're going to have 15 and when you're 35 years old, you're going to have five friends. And although that's an approximation, yeah. I have found that it goes down. Yeah, exactly. Um, so that's one thing that, that I've really 
I really found myself prioritizing. And the other is discipline throughout my day where like all of this can become homogenous so quick. Like it can all be a blob of a week or a blob of a day. I'm like, you know what? I'm going to practice some sort of instrument for an hour. Yeah. I'm going to do squat structure. Structure. Yeah. That's one thing that when I was growing up, didn't value it very much. Well, because like many things, uh, it comes from the outside. Mm-hmm. Not that you take it for granted, but structure has always been imposed on you. Yeah. Your whole life, you know, there's appointments, there's school, you know, school hours, whatever. You have structure built into your day. When the structure goes away, it's up to you to structure your own day. And most people don't do that uh, mm-hmm. because your day you know, and this is where I, I love talking about f- freedom and free will. But you don't structure your own time for the most part. Your time is structured by the outside world, and you just kind of go along with it. When the outside world goes away, and you're left to structure your own time, this is why a lot of people have trouble in these situations because it's like, what the fuck do I do with myself? No right. one's no one's telling me what to do. I'm not equipped to deal yeah. with this. Wake up, sheeple. Uh, this is called freedom. No one's telling you what to do, so you get to decide what to do for yourself. Yeah, like, what the fuck but, are we going to do when that, we're retired? But that uh, that's... Uh, did you know that once people retire, especially men, uh, suicide rate shoots up. Death what? shoots up. Yeah. Suicide? Yeah. Suicide I and death. I knew death did, because I feel like people would definitely like wither away, but well, suicide? They, they wither away because they don't have purpose. Dude, just go be go be funky as a Walmart greeter and just say whatever how, you want until you know get how, fired. They don't know how to do that because they've been directed by external forces their whole life, and now that it's like, hey, you know, Grandpa, you can go do whatever you want. They're like... They don't know what to do because they've never done it before in their whole life. So this is fucking valuable. Wake up, sheeple! <laughs> no, but really, for the, your no, own this health, is valuable. wake up. Structure your own life. Well, d- realize self-direct more of your own time. You're getting pulled from appointment to appointment. You're answering texts and emails. Every time you answer a text, that person has stolen control of your time to a to a small small degree every time that you're pulled Damn, away that's so pessimistic but you i mean it's it's accurate but it's hey I, it's like and i've noticed this like hey if i'm reading my book and my phone buzzes you're taking me you're taking me away from the shit that i was doing before you've stole you've distracted me yeah it's every, a very selfish way to look at it but it's i mean well, it's but, true if you but, think about but, it on a but that person it's, it'd be like if um, it'd be like if someone just came up and bulged barged into your office. Hey, my door is closed. I'm doing some work. Someone bursts in. Hey, pay attention to me now. Like I would argue, it's your fault for not having your phone on silent. Yes, I agree. It's the same I'm reason barging through your same, office. But same reason that with this cute yes, cat meme. Well, yeah, yeah. Same reason. It's like lock your door if you don't want to be disturbed. Mm-hmm. Uh, you are correct. My phone should be on silent. Um, but but the how that, dare you but, text me? Yeah, no, no. I'm, all I'm saying is that all kinds of things are are vying for your attention. Yeah. So not every text. I'm not like blaming anyone for texting anyone. But um, if you're trying to do something, realize that there's a million other things that are like trying to pull you away from that or trying to do stuff. So um, 
to self-direct your time to be like, for this hour, I'm going to practice music. Yeah. Turn your phone off or whatever the fuck. Turn everything else off and do what you want to do for that hour. Yeah. When is the last time anyone has really truly done that? Or who does that habitually where it's like every single day I'm going to di- I'm going to disconnect, take an hour of my own time and do whatever the fuck I want for that hour without any distraction or interruption. Yeah. That rare that's a an increasingly rare occurrence. Oh man. Absolutely. My week for many years of my life was almost all, let's just call it rat race. You know, it was work from, uh, you know, let's just say nine to five. Yeah. And then I would have activity A on Tuesday. Let's just say band practice yeah. Tuesday, bowling Wednesday, band practice Thursday, yeah, set up. Uh, show or whatever activity on the weekends. And then on Sunday, I would probably have some sort of internet obligation. And yeah. so I had like one and a half days after work or otherwise where i would have free time yeah and having this much free time requires structure yes and that's what i've found has been so valuable and it's it's not so much that it's the same thing every week but it's that you set that time for yourself to be dedicated to a certain purpose whether it's you know practicing an instrument or learning a language or whatever that that recurring thing that i can look forward to has you know i think i'd be sane without it but it's really helped in that regard and one last thing i'll say about it is that when i was growing up uh in sports and in in contact athletics and being extreme i didn't really learn the value of passive working out or softly exercising kind of the the bridge between aerobic and anaerobic but i mean Allie and i have gone on walks a few times since this all started and it's like really really good for the mind and it doesn't feel disruptive to the body where we're running really hard or whatever lifting power lifting would yes uh the thing about structure, just to touch on that a little bit more, is just like routine is good. Uh, routine adds stability uh, to your life, mm-hmm. and it adds like anchor points. Yeah, continuity. Yeah, motivation for future continuity. Yes. So, so like um, band practice or bowling or whatever, ha- knowing that you have that every single week is an anchor point. Uh, in like a proximal time way but it's also like a sense of stability like hey I know that bowling happens on Wednesday like your brain your brain loves patterns and your brain loves efficiency and the more patterns and routines you have the less your brain has to think if you have to plan every Ugh. single if your if your brain has to plan every single moment of your day hey what do I do now what do I do now? What do I do now? By having a routine, it's decided for you. Oh, I'm going to do this. It's already it's already built in. I'm, I'm sure there are a lot of people listening that do feel that way, where like their structure has been disrupted. Everyone's... Oh, well, I would imagine most people's structure has been disrupted by this. No one except for... No one is, is 
everyone's life has been disrupted. Some people's have been disrupted massively. Yeah. Other people's minimally. So is our advice to people that have had their structure disrupted, find a new structure? Or is it think earnestly and thoughtfully about what you want your new structure to be and then reevaluate? That. So, well... The structure of the old world uh, was, you know, um, one thing, whether how much that was dictated by you versus dictated by your job or whatever is whatever. Presumably, now that you have a little bit more free time and which means less structure, I think people should develop. You get to decide now what the structure of your day is. I think it's important that you develop routine and structure and habit um, of some kind. It almost doesn't matter what it is, but it's like, this is what uh, entrepreneurs do or people that are self-employed because like they don't have a boss. They don't have external stuff on them. What they do is say, uh, Wednesday from 9 to 10... I'm doing this. I make you make an appointment with yourself yeah. that you keep. Um, God, that's it, such a foreign concept. If you've never done it before, making an appointment with yourself, uh, holding yourself accountable. Yes, it's it's really important. Like you know, guys, even if it's for something stupid, make an appointment with yourself to be like, you know what, I'm gonna wear those pink leggings from three to six on Friday. It can be as simple as that, but really dig in. Well, it's like uh, if you um, if you had a yoga class, you know, Tuesday and Thursday uh-huh. from six to seven, make an appointment with yourself that you're gonna do, you know, some personal yoga or stretching from six to seven, like, and just hold mm-hmm. yourself accountable to that. Mm-hmm. And it doesn't have to be something crazy. So going back to like making time for reading, that's what I do. I say, uh, from nine to 10 today, I'm going to read. doesn't matter what I read. doesn't matter how fast I read. doesn't matter whatever. But this hour of my day is blocked off for just reading. And that's it. And Make like, sure to silence your cell phone. Yeah, I will do that. <laughs> I will do that in the future. Um, but uh, but that's what I think more people need to do. Or to say, hey, at 5 o'clock today, I'm going to start cooking dinner. I'm going to eat at 6. Um, after that, I'm going to do this. It's like, but setting it up so that your brain doesn't have to make decision after decision after decision. It's actually liberating. Like the reason that Steve Jobs wore uh, jeans and a black turtleneck every day is because he, so we wouldn't have to decide on what to wear every day. That wasn't like his style. I mean, it was, but it's, it's because he, he says, I have a set amount of decision making capacity. Why am I wasting it on deciding what to wear every day? He has bigger shit to worry about. And so do you. So does everyone. But it's like we we waste our... If you decide too much on like, oh, should I wear this or should I wear that? That's a dumb decision to have to make. Relatively. Convince me otherwise. Um, Sometimes it is important to decide what to wear on a day-to-day basis. Having a uniform uh, removes that decision-making from your brain. And it eases up everything else. It leaves you freer to focus on the things that you really, really value. If you're a fashionista and that's what you value, uh, you know, that's important to you. The point that we're making is delegate time during your day 
and allot it to things you really care about or exactly. want to explore. Exactly. That is the uh, I was that I was getting very convoluted, but yes, that is the way you should think. And it really does help day to day. It makes it not feel like all uh, it's not all oatmeal your days aren't passing three at a time and you're not like oh is it tuesday or thursday or wednesday or when is it um you and know doing sp- different things every day too yeah it's like like you said like tuesday's band wednesday's bowling in in quarantine times you can't do that but maybe like for us like Sunday's Westworld, you know, or yeah. whatever. Like, link it to something. Shout out to Loris. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> um, you know, varying your days as well. You'll you'll have something to look forward to, and truly, as you're bettering skills or aspects about your knowledge, it will be rewarding. It really will be, and I'm I'm sure that uh, everyone listening is like, all right. Sunday from 3 to 6. <laughs> I'm here with the honkering, listening to these incredible, incredible lessons. But yeah, my- <laughs> these such, these valuable podcasts that you should tell everyone about because I'm about to turn ads on and make money <laughs> off this shit. Uh, no, truly though, uh, in an honest note, uh, we hope everybody's doing okay. And, and we have, we have found strength through structure and uh, strength through people we care about and strength through reading. That's a great motto. Strength through structure. You it's know, got a little alliteration. Yeah, That's a catchy... I love an alliteration. Yeah. I was thinking about V for Vendetta uh, this morning <laughs> yeah. as I was like waking up at 8 o'clock and I was like, man... You know, it was it's Easter morning, and it's the the whole uh, the chancellor's like strength through unity, mm. unity through faith, and I'm like, Ugh, don't like that one. But, but <laughs> well, that's good. strength through unity, unity through separation, and I like kept extrapolating on that. <laughs> yeah. I really like it. You could follow that train yeah. for a while. Yeah, um, yeah, very true. But um, I think we'll take a break and then we'll uh, we'll just do some some reflections on past episodes and um, and do a little sign out after we get back here. But uh, happy yeah. Easter! We'll be back in a minute. That sounds great. Happy Zombie Jesus Day. Speaking of structuring and structured things, that this podcast has been a very uh, good anchor. Um, and what you just said uh, just before we started recording is that just having something in the near future to look forward to like a little mm-hmm. you know boop hey this is the next thing that i am looking forward to that's a nice thing to have yeah you think about it you prepare for it it is it's really nice yeah i also just like as a side note um the fact that this podcast allows us I mean, it doesn't allow us but it maybe it spurs us into having conversations that we wouldn't necessarily normally have. Because yeah. normally we're talking about stuff that is like right in front of us, you know? Yeah. Uh, we're talking about the show that we're watching or the thing that we're doing or whatever. Mm-hmm. This is just like, it's more of just like a, Hey, let your brain rip a little bit. Yeah. And and then we talk about random shit like education for an hour, which, but <laughs> yeah. I think that's really cool. Um, like, I like talking and thinking about those things, and I think um, that with less distractions, we would talk 
and kind of like ruminate on those things a lot more than we tend to normally. Yeah. Uh, which I think is valuable in itself. Uh, I cannot remember where this quote came from, but it's some famous female philosopher or government authority. I, I, I truly cannot remember, so I apologize to whoever said this, but she said, small minds talk about people. Medium minds talk about events and large minds talk about ideas. Yeah, that's, uh, I've heard that before. Yeah. I also don't know exactly who to attribute that to. Uh, we could definitely Google that, but I think, I think that idea has been thought concurrently by a lot of people. Yes. Cause I think whoever you're thinking of that said that, I, I'm pretty sure that, um, Plato had that on lockdown yeah, thousands probably. of years ago, you know. But thinking about, yeah, sort of like thinking about ideas is not to, well, and to say, I was going to say the highest form of thought, like kind of like what you said, uh-huh. um, but it, and that doesn't discourage or like speak less to other parts of thought. It's just like, talking about everything is interesting but people just don't talk about ideas enough like people get caught up with talking about other stuff and i think talking about bigger ideas um it's something that like we've been taught to shy away from where it's like hey don't talk about politics sex or religion or whatever at parties because like you might offend someone but it's like being in a a space where you can talk about those things can be really valuable. And like, that's how, uh, I mean, that's how I think we make progress, you know, is, is, is thinking about those ideas and, and expounding upon them and kind of like, also I'm a big believer in the fact that it's like that you don't really know. I mean, you have some vague idea of what you think, but like inside of your brain is a very like dark and nebulous place and speaking with someone else or writing about what your ideas are. That's how you like really get them out. So yeah. it's like, I don't know half the things I think about things until I start writing about them or yeah. I still t- or, or until I start having a conversation about them. And then I'm like, cause it forces you to, to explain to another person what do you really think because you kind of have like this vague idea of what you think about these things but to explain it to another person forces you to clarify your thoughts yeah we and, talked about and that's this. important yeah we talked about this this week where if you don't spend a little bit of time on each of your opinions or each of your thought processes, they're really given to you by former points in your life. You know, you're really, you're really just taking it at face value on yeah. a lot of your opinions. Yeah. Um, and, and exploring those is very important. And, uh, it, it's been a tremendous resource just for us to chat about these things on this, you know, podcast. Yeah. But really, you know, challenge your own ideas reflection is important Mm um i just uh speaking of unattributed quotes um i just heard someone talking about like someone was like a lot of people say that experience is the best teacher 
But if that were true, people would just keep getting better and better as they got older, uh, which isn't the case. Um, what he was making the argument for is that you need to reflect upon your experiences for them to, that is the best teacher. One, uh, yeah. One of my favorite, when, when I was in, uh, when you had to take prerequisites for college, I had to take a journalism class, wasn't interested in journalism, but it's, it's part of your reading and writing, you know, criteria there. Mm -hmm. And, uh, the the one thing that I really remember from that class that stuck with me is, all right, take this fact, all right, and then look at that fact. Let's say John went to the gas station, and every time you're given a fact like that, ask why or how. Who, what, where, when, why, and how. Yeah, ask that about your own opinions and, and keep going. You yeah. know, you get one, oh, why? Oh, he needed some milk. Why did he need some milk? You know, yeah. you keep going deeper, and it, it will change your thought process, and it will let you know if your opinions are really solidified or not. If, if you want to know something, uh, ask why five times. Yeah. Um, but journalism is like science, like good journalism, or journalism as a practice or a theory, is like science in that... It's more of, like, a way of thinking about things. Because, like, true journalism is about is about discerning fact, you know? Mm -hmm. uh, journalism is supposed to be about reporting the objective facts. It's not about bias or opinion. It's about to be, like, this is what happened. And asking those hard, hard by the, um, like, strong questions, like, who, what, when, where, why, and how... Those are questions that, like, it's hard to, it's easier to be objective when you're asking those questions, honestly. Um, so, yeah, I mean, journalism. Yeah. Something that has, you know, fallen by the wayside. But what I wanted to get to um, eventually, and the idea of reflection uh, plays into this a little bit, is some of our reflections upon pa uh, past podcast episodes yes yes of course there have only been two but um i've been reflecting on them and also um some people have pointed out to me their uh thoughts and concerns about some of the things that uh we have talked about which i think are really valid and i've reflected on those and just want to address them really quickly um the first one uh is a very specific thing and then um i'll get into more uh broad stuff about uh some coronavirus stuff but the first one comes from uh the first podcast that we did um we went on a tangent about um in my mind uh what i was thinking of as like gym culture and the culture of kind of like superficially uh trying to impress others or like peacocking for people or whatever yeah um, but what someone pointed out to me is that, uh, what it sounded like we were talking about, uh, from their perspective and which I, I find is a fair point is, um, like insulting people's choices of what they chose to like wear or look like at the gym. And I think that it's really important to mention that, <clears throat> Uh, I think you should wear whatever uh, makes you feel comfortable. 
I think that uh, you should feel safe wearing whatever you want. Um, to me, one of the most like cl- like cliche, despicable um, excuses or arguments that's talked about like in rape very often is like, oh, well, she shouldn't have been dressed like that. And that is uh, a disgusting way to uh, frame that uh, event where it's just like nothing you cannot um, excuse someone's bad or criminal or evil behavior uh, by blaming that's victim blaming essentially and uh, that is not what we are trying to do Um, I think it's silly when I still will maintain just to clarify like what I was thinking is that um, going to the gym just to impress people and dress up I do find silly if you want to do that that's fine um I don't think that any I think the way people behave is is you know it's like what you wear um does not excuse bad behavior from others and I think that's that's what I want to get across more yeah. or less we we might have gotten into that uh bad behavior from others category and we'd we'd like to you know just clarify and apologize if we came off as you know misogynistic or um insensitive as far as that we don't want to shame anyone for what they want to wear we were just trying to uh trying to shine a little light and a little humor on uh the psychology behind getting dolled up to not do that much at the gym yeah. while you're at the gym if th- it's not for working out it's it's fascinating to us that that might be your motivation yeah. for going there i think we got uh we were like feeding off of one another and getting caught up on the mockery of of these things and i think it did stray into like a territory that we weren't intending and uh yeah i think just to clarify that a little bit and um hopefully that clears that up yeah we do we do have a tendency to get a little uh you know we gain a little momentum and we we will you know and this as we've said many times over our three episodes this is just a a stream of consciousness and it's very loosely if at all formatted so we apologize if we've um if we've stepped into insensitive territory and we really are not trying to uh to portray portray what we've what we've just covered in the past two minutes yeah. five minutes I think um, a beautiful thing about having conversations with your friends is you should feel it should be uh, a safe place to make mistakes I think um, I'm a big believer in freedom of speech and I think part of that is being able to say stupid shit Um <laughs> But I think you should feel safe to say stupid shit, but other people should feel safe to call you on that stupid shit. Absolutely. And saying stupid shit and being called on saying stupid shit is the forge in which good thoughts are made. Because it's like, you have to be able to make mistakes to succeed. Um in anything it's like practice like i am not saying that any of my ideas or thoughts like this is me talking off the cuff this is me saying shit that i think i am not mistaking my thoughts and opinions currently for 
fact or objective truth in any way. And uh, I always hope to be challenged and corrected um, and to to improve my thoughts and thinking. I feel like that would be a great transition to talk about the coronavirus data. Yeah. So uh. another thing, um, I think more... I think more in the last podcast as opposed to the first one, but um, I was talking about a lot of stuff. Uh, I was talking about specifically a lot of stuff regarding uh, coronavirus that was really speculative. And it occurred to me the next day just being like, I'm saying all these things. Listening back to it, I was just like, I'm saying some of these things as if they're fact or if they are um consensus which they were not um some of the things about let's see yeah what specifically what are you specifically about? the thing that i think is most interesting um that has not been proven is this kind of connection to um the virus disrupting uh hemoglobin and red blo- red blood cells um and as as like a nerd and as uh you know whatever i i find that really interesting but this is something that a couple physicians uh and researchers have observed it is not uh medical consensus it's not like you know it's not proven or anything like that and i don't want to uh make it seem like it was and i want to make the distinction between information misinformation speculation and also kind of like risk hedging um which i want to start with because we were also talking about masks and uh the who and cdc and whatever Mm -hmm. you know a month ago was like hey don't wear masks or masks are should be for healthcare workers and masks are for more effective at preventing it or, sorry, uh, preventing the spread if you already have the illness as opposed to not getting the illness. That has been backpedaled on a little bit. Yeah, um, originally the first thing I heard about masks, if you're not a healthcare professional, was like, hey, we, we don't think it's a good idea because if you are wearing these masks, you don't really know how they function and you're going to have to touch your face to put them yeah. on and take them off every time. Yeah. I think on average it is... Uh, a good idea to listen to the experts there's uh, a reason that they're experts i think we unfortunately in america have had this weird like somewhat anti-intellectualism and also like this war on like the experts where it's like i know what's best for me you can't tell me what to do blah blah fauci's getting death threats yeah but it's like i hate to break it to you and I think I said this last time, but it's like your intuition um, not only isn't always correct, but oftentimes it's it's wrong. And what the experts try and do, and when they come to these consensus points, it's it's based on data and science and probability, which are things that our brains don't really naturally like very much. <laughs> so, you know, um, thinking about probabilities and statistics are not something that our brains were programmed to do having these gut feeling intuitions and getting mad about it is something that our brains were programmed to do so there's a little bit of contention there um but 
I think using the best information from the experts at any given time uh, is good. Uh, still, uh, for better or worse, that's the best option we have. Um, there is still, if you are educated and if you have, so I have, I have just enough, um, knowledge and experience in science and biochemistry to make me dangerous as they would say. Like, I don't know enough to be an expert. I know enough to kind of know a little bit about what I'm talking about, but I don't really know what the fuck I'm talking about. And I'm happy to admit that, but I do like to speculate about, you know, could this be this? Could this be that? And I do like to learn about it because it's interesting. Um, Is there anyone that... Um, well, let me ask this question. Who do you gain comfort from gaining this kind of information from? Yes. Is like the so, World Health Organization or the CDC or... You know, who do so, you feel comfortable? Not You're not endorsing, but you're saying... Yeah. I, hey. think, there's, I think there's like four levels of information. Okay. Uh, the, the best level of information, and I think these two levels are tied, which are like the authorities, the experts, you know, the institutions. Mm -hmm. But you have to realize that the institutions also play like political games where like the WHO has to like appease China by not, um recognizing like you know tibet and all these other stuff where it's like they do weird political shit but it's like there's independent experts as well that aren't tied to institutions and you should pay attention to them as well so you should pay attention to institutional experts but then if you can find independent experts which i have found on twitter um who are like epidemiologists, virologists, who this sure. is the, this is their expertise, but they do not necessarily work for the WHO or the CDC. These people are usually um, independent. They're professors or they are researchers or something like that. Those people are valuable, extremely valuable source of information. Then the, the second level uh, of, of information is someone like me who's kind of like listening to those people and then doing a decent or shitty job of like, I'm just, I'm just repeating what the experts are saying. And then the third and the most important and relevant thing is like your fucking aunt on Facebook. Who's not an expert. She saw something on a fucking blog post or something that Gwyneth Paltrow told her. And then she is spreading it as real information. Karen, so that is the difference. And that's where it's like, you know, coronavirus was uh, a Wuhan bioweapons, like, you know, invented by... It's like, these are the things that are batshit crazy, no pun intended. But it's like, or the idea, and we were talking about this all week, that, um, oh, coronavirus has been here since uh, January or whatever, and it's been... Blah, all that stuff has been disproven, and there's absolutely no evidence for that. All these things are, you know, some degree of wishful thinking or just, like, spreading ignorance. Um, and so I think it's really important to check your facts and not be... And not just take anything that you hear or read at face value. Um, question your sources. Question your sources. Be, be skeptical. Yeah, be skeptical. Yeah. I mean... Um, there's, there's a lot of pieces to this puzzle and, um, we were talking about this earlier, but 
No one knows how this is going to play out. We do know a tremendous amount about the virus, but we still don't know everything about the virus. Um, there's a lot of knowns and there's a lot of unknowns. And I think it's just important to be able to kind of trying to develop the, the scrutiny yourself. Um, cause unfortunately we can't really rely on, I mean, certain media sources are more reliable than others, but I, I don't think you can like fully rely on the media at large to give you the best information because they're doing what I'm doing sort of is that they have a source and that they are, they're repeating that information from that source. Mm -hmm. Depending on who their source is, that information will have some degree of accuracy or usefulness. Um, but it depends where they're getting their information from, too. Yeah. Because uh, they're not, uh, the media is not an epidemiologist or a virologist. So you have to be careful when you're listening to the media. Um, who are they getting their information from? They typically will do a good job, but you know not all media is created equal we just want to say that that what we're what we're reporting or what we're saying reporting is the wrong word what we're talking about is a summation of what we've heard and to the best of our knowledge you know is what we've read and heard about this yeah we we don't claim to be experts in this uh in this region or uh area of study but it's question your sources. It's really, really a smart thing to make sure that you verify your facts, especially during, you know, about this pandemic and this virus. But about all things, too, yeah. Well, yes, of course, but... Um, Fake news. Yeah. It's important to cross-reference. Yeah, make sure that uh, they know what's going on. So anyway, we want to do uh, apologize slash backtrack slash clarify our position on those two things yeah this is just a representation of how we are thinking at the time and we're not like super attached to that and i don't think that this is accurate you know this is as good as i know at at the time that's it and um and i and I'd be happy to update my thoughts and I would love to make this more of a, a broader conversation. I would love to get more feedback. Lord knows I would love some more social connection. So yeah, all um, of us would. Yeah. Once again, it's like, I think we can welcome, uh, did we explain why Allie wasn't here? Did we even talk about that? No, she just has been very quiet this whole time. Uh, <laughs> she just didn't feel like podcasting today. No, just Alan's by the been way. cutting us up an incredible charcuterie oh, plate God, for yeah. Easter dinner. And I've been waiting to get at that thing. Shout so. out to Monger's Provisions for providing us with incredible cheese and yes. meats uh, for this Easter dinner. Ooh, note another, just little side note, because I can't stop talking, is um, cheese has been providing me a tremendous amount of pleasure during oh. uh the quarantine because it's just crack for people with jobs baby uh the two fun you want to hear fun fact the two like if you you know curds and whey so whey is whey's a protein all the all the gym bros that i was just shitting on you know will be familiar with whey protein (laughs) um but another protein in milk is called casein and uh there's a compound in in dairy and cheese uh called Ca- caseo or caseomorphines 
Mm. And doesn't uh, sound addictive at all. Yeah, and actually they are called that because they do have a morphine like component that actually fits in the morphine receptors or the opioid receptors in your brain Sick. to a certain degree. So cheese has and dairy has this kind of like soothing, pain numbing effect uh on a very small level obviously it's not a it's not a drug but it's uh it does have these compounds that are both soothing and addictive in them so if you fucking love cheese out there it's it's not your fault come on down to jamie and nick's cheese hut we're building a very uh just psychedelic tarp teepee in our backyard and it's fancy cheese all day psychedelic tarp sounds like a band that one of my roommates would have listened to in college yeah it's like (coughs) we're psychedelic Psychedelic tarp (laughs) well before we go before we go um are there any uh any easter thoughts or any easter traditions that uh we'd like to share with everybody before we get out of here um Easter was always a weird holiday because it's like there's resurrection and rabbits and like it kind of doesn't make sense. I think I've watched a YouTube video before where I was like trying to explain why the Easter bunny was linked to that. I don't remember why. Yeah. Um, But also eggs as well. It's like a bunny and eggs and (laughs) like death and resurrection. Um yeah, there's probably a lot of pagan shit, because guess what? Christianity, it's all just pagan reformatting. Um, but, yeah. my I mean, I always liked Easter. Yeah. I think jelly beans are weird. I feel like if we uh, did do an Easter egg hunt between the three of us, like in this house, that this would probably be the first year ever that we found every single one before February. Oh, yeah. You know? Ooh, like no usually one turns up later. You no, know what's weird is that like um, that cellophane grass shit that they put in Easter oh, baskets, yeah. like that horrible astroturf that's yeah. like flammable. Yeah, where it's yeah. just like uh, that's capitalism to me. Where it's just like, why do we make that? That is the dumbest shit. That should not exist. I mean, when you're a kid, you loved it though, right? No, I thought. I mean, not really. <laughs> All right, happy Easter, guys. Yeah, a fucking dolphin died because of that (laughs) or some shit. Bye.